First Peter is a letter written by the Apostle Peter uh, that speaks to us about a word that is powerfully important uh, in our world. It's the word hope. Uh, we're in a study of First Peter uh, called the Hope Series. And this week, I started to analyze how often I use the word hope. I hear myself saying, I hope you have a good day. I hope things go well for you this week. I hope you start feeling better real soon. Hope you have a healthy baby. Hope you get an A in that class. Hope things work out for you. Hope the Oilers can have a good run from now until the end of the season. Hope we have a dozen more Gagnés uh, that'll show their face and uh, make their way. Hope, I hope the Giants win. <laughs> Every day we use that small, magical word, hope. It's tough to live or even make it through one day without hope. What is hope? Hope is a vision for better days ahead, but something that transforms us and changes us in the present. Hope is a vision for better days. There's good things ahead. Things are going to change. Something is going to happen. Uh, but that hope isn't just abstract because it reaches into our hearts and it transforms us in the present. And it, it's what it does for us now that is so significant. So, for example, I'm hoping for an A in my class. I hope, at least it should, motivate me to study right now. It, it should motivate me to do something. I'm hoping for a raise, therefore I will work harder. If I want world peace, I could start by helping reducing the conflict in my own home. If I want to make a difference in our community, I'll have to find some ways to do it. Hope is a vision for better days ahead, but that changes us right now. There's a common quotation that says that human beings can live for 40 days without food. They can live for four days without water and four minutes without air. But we cannot live for four seconds without hope. The point is well taken. When you run out of hope, life feels absolutely desperate. Have you ever been in that place for even a moment when you felt there was just absolutely no hope for you? It's got to be the most desperate, lonely feeling in the world. And it's only God who brings hope despite our most desperate situation. Here it is, 2012, and in Canada, we have so, so much easier here than many nations around the world. I'm praying for a couple these days. We support them as a, as a church, Terwilliger Community Church, uh, and their names are Nick and Iris Hung, and they're serving in Nigeria. They're going to be here, or there when we move, uh, at the end of August. But Nigeria... It's got to be a very tough place to minister in. You never know, if you've been listening to the news lately, when your home's going to be attacked. And I imagine they read First Peter 
through a different lens. Someday, if horrible persecution breaks upon the church in Canada, the letter of First Peter will be one of our most treasured documents. It won't be just scattered Christians living somewhere around the Black Sea. It will be you and me in Edmonton, in Alberta, that takes hold of First Peter and pours over every line and holds on for everything we have because of the hope that we have discovered in this book. Well, Peter sets the stage real quickly for his friends in Christ who are going through difficult times, scattered uh, into Asia Minor, modern Turkey. He suggests to them that even though times are tough, that they're going to be able to deal with them. And they they will even come to the place where they can rejoice in them. Rejoice in them. This is a great passage, verses 3 to 9. Some of you today will just absorb these verses because... They're right where you're at. For many, life is just one painful sting after another. Last Sunday, we started looking at the reasons that we can find hope and encouragement. And this is what Peter wrote to these scattered and uh, struggling Christians in their new environment. And uh, I will uh, move quickly over the first part because we covered some of this last week, but I'll just bring you up to date. I count about six things that Peter writes to scattered and struggling Christians to help them in their trials and sufferings and even reasons that will cause them to rejoice. Here are six reasons to recalibrate, to take hope. Number one, we have a living hope. Verse three, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The hope is alive. It's stirring. It's vibrating within. It is like fresh water from a spring that comes to us when we're thirsty and parched. It's living. It comes from the heart of God. And the hard evidence for the hope is what happened to Jesus Christ. Because when he was dead and in the grave, the Father raised him to new life. It was a miracle. So on the basis of the new life, the resurrected life of Jesus, we're also given that life. We're given that hope and we become followers of Jesus Christ. And that hope is planted in our hearts because Jesus is the Son of God. So always as we journey through this life, we have a confidence inside that keeps us and provides a living hope that God will see us through. And eventually our hope will be realized when we reach heaven's glory. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Great words from a hymn from our past. Secondly, we have a living or an authentic inheritance. Peter says in verse 4, into an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. Seems like everything on this earth keeps going through the degenerative process. Everything seems to have a time span. Everything seems to have a lifespan. Put in a new carpet, lo and behold, it wears out. Put on some paint, and in a few years, it needs another fresh coat of paint. In St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, most of the time when you go to there, they're doing some renovations. It's under construction. They've done some massive uh, restoration to Leonardo da Vinci's famous painting of The Last Supper. 
it's beginning to fade. Of course, after all these years, it's beginning to fade. Even the greatest of masterpieces ultimately fade. But the heavenly inheritance that our Lord provides for us will never fade. Isn't that exciting? It will never fade. We're not allowed at this moment to see the beauty and the brilliance of our, of our great inheritance. Because we all might want to de- leave just now and go there. We would even skip brunch, imagine. And we would go to our, our, our wonderful inheritance. It's an amazing inheritance. And by the grace of God alone, we can receive our inheritance one day, not because we deserve it at all, but because of the mercy of God. And, and Peter says, in that there's hope. Just look forward to the day when you will inherit this in great inheritance. And that, in that is hope. Thirdly, we're shielded by God's power. Verse 5, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be received in the last time. A grandma said that during a recent visit to the zoo, she said, with my daughter and my granddaughter, we visited the orangutan exhibit. The only thing separating us from these awesome creatures that possess the strength of uh, five men were panes of thick glass, each 20 feet tall. And she said, my two-year-old grandson, Trevor, was amused at first by the orangutan's antics. And then one of the hairy beasts suddenly began to beat on the glass. And Trevor leapt into the arms of his mom saying, I scared, I scared. And his mom tenderly took him, placed his little hand on the glass and showed him that the glass shielded him from the animal so there was nothing to fear. And afterward, any time Trevor seemed uncertain, his mom would say, remember the glass? Remember the glass? And that was Peter saying to the first century church that was scattered, remember the glass? You are ultimately shielded by the power of God. It protects you from those who would seek to do you harm. And even in death, you have a protection for your soul as you make your way home. Peter is saying you have a most unique protection. You have the power of God as you walk through this life. The power of God, the shield of God as you journey through this life with all of its challenges. And so when things get tough in your life, ah, just remember, remember the glass. Remember the glass. You're protected in front and behind and beside. Remember the glass. And then fourthly, we can find hope and encouragement simply knowing that our faith is growing and developing. And even though I may not like to say it this way, there is a reality that our trials are like school. Um, Today is another day in school in which God trains us for our future ministry in eternity. School, our educational system, is a process of getting us ready for adult life. Trials, they're some of God's tools, at least tools that he's able to use, not that he's the author of them, but he will work with you in the trial. And some of those trials will be the textbook that you study in the school of Christian experience. They're part of the curriculum. Just like we say in golf, as we watch somebody who's positioned on the green and they have the same lie as we do, we say, 
I'm going to go to school in your ball. Because they have the same contour, the same bevel, and we're going to watch that ball to see where, 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 the, where, the, where it breaks. I'm going to learn the contour of the green by watching you. And when the trials come, we are learning. We're learning how to respond. Sometimes when trials come to us, we just get mad. Our quick response would be to blast everybody in sight because trials take us through the grief cycle. Sometimes we just deny it. No, it's not, it's not happening. And then we're angry with it. And then we negotiate. And finally, we come to deal with the trial in our life. And we let it do what it's supposed to do. But God is protecting us. And God is developing us in the rugged process. And oh, it's sometimes so hard. Peter says, verse 6, you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Or it's, it's translated various trials or, or variegated trials, many colored trials. You know, we talk about a blue Monday, we talk about a gray Friday. God paints with many colors. He's painting on the canvas of your life. And he's making a masterpiece. And it's all part of the discipleship process. And sometimes it's painful, the colors that he paints with. But in the end, you watch what he's done with your life. The trials are different. Who knows what you will face? Sometimes you can't figure them out. Mark and I, we have a security system in our home. But it's been doing some strange things in the middle of the night. It will go off. We will jump up and say, what's going on? And we, and then it's on for about two minutes, just making a terrible racket. And then it goes off. And so there doesn't seem to be any problem. And we gradually start unplugging things. Is it this smoke detector? Unplug it. Oh, that's probably got it. And the, a, a week later, bah, the thing goes off. We unplug another one. This has been going on for a month. And it, we, we finally thought we had it solved. And then all of a sudden, a couple of weeks later, boom, it goes off again at 3 in the morning. It's an awful feeling. Finally, I, well, I called the alarm company. <laughs> I, I said, what's the problem? Uh, they said, oh, it happens often. It, you've, you've got a battery that's, that's worn down. I said, there are no batteries in our smoke detectors. They said, oh. But, oh, he said, I know. Uh, I know what it is. You have a speaker. You have a horn in a cold air vent. I do? Yeah, yeah, you, you've got one. Go to the cold air vent where the noise is coming from. Take the cold air vent off and look inside there and you'll see a horn. You'll see a little bugle, you'll, and, uh, and just take one of the wires off, and that will stop it. You've had a power surge, and it needs to be reset. Who would have ever thought that would happen? And sure enough, now we've been just sleeping through the night like babies. <laughs> Who knows what you will face in life? When the alarm will go off, there are various diseases... Various lusts, various events, various temptations. And when the alarm goes off for you, some of the things you'll just breeze through. That's no problem. 
You can handle it. But something else will catch you. And you need the Lord so much with that one. You need the Lord's people. Why does one trial affect us so powerfully while another does not? We're all put together differently. Paul had a thorn in the flesh, you know, and he asked for it to be removed, but it was not. But the Lord gave him the grace that he needed for that trial. It wasn't easy. Paul would have loved to be done with it, but it was not to be. But there was grace for the trial, and the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. And then you notice that that part of the maturing, growing process is just to understand why these trials come your way. And Peter wants us to be clear on that. Verse 7, these trials have come, why? So that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus is revealed. God does not waste the trials that come your way. And that blesses my heart. God does not waste the trials that come your way. No one wants a trial. They're not easy. Yet something happens in our hearts, in our attitudes, in our character when we go through them. We come out like gold. And Peter uses that analogy. The the process of heating up the gold removes the impurities and makes the gold even more pure and precious. Uh, a fellow was uh, telling the story that his aunt has a little apple orchard at the back of her house. And uh, he said, uh, the year, this year we paid her a visit. And he said, I couldn't help but notice the huge harvest of apples. I mean, the, the branches were just loaded and they were just hanging heavy and some were even cracking in the weight of abundance. He said, never in so many years had I seen such a harvest in her backyard. And when I asked her why, she told me that last year there was a late frost in the spring and all of the buds froze. And when that happens, his aunt said, an apple tree does a miraculous thing. It stores up its energy in thousands of small bumps or nodules called scions, S-C-I-O-N-S. And all of that energy pulsates through that network of scions until the spring of the following year, and then, bam, it explodes in a multitude of buds. And you have this tremendous harvest that follows. And it made me think about our spiritual lives. Sometimes the harsh frosts of of this life, cancer, heart attacks, and uh, divorce, and bankruptcy, and trauma, grief, depression, causes our But at the core of the Christian faith, we also live in an incredible promise in and through Christ that there will be an abundant harvest in our lives. That, that God's pulse is beating under the gnarly bark of this world and even in our bodies and through all that's happened in our lives, God is bringing a rich harvest. God is bringing a rich harvest uh, into our lives. And during certain seasons of our life, we feel like we're just waiting. We're waiting. When's it going to happen? We're, we're aching. 
for those frozen places to burst into life. But God is forming us, and God is shaping us, and God is pruning us that we might produce a harvest that is authentic and genuine. So there's a word of hope here to these Christians in Asia Minor, that even though it's difficult for them, that God's doing something in in their lives for the trials. And that we'll never be the same again. We'll never be the same. We'll have gotten rid of some of our pride. We'll have gotten rid of some of our independence. We'll have gotten rid of some of our attitude. When we walk through that kind of stuff, God will do something in our lives. And if our hearts are open, and if we determine in our hearts that we're going to be better and not bitter, God's going to just change us and transform us and make us stronger. You're going to come out the better for it. Now, five, as Peter explains the reasons that we can rejoice, he he underscores that we have an unseen Savior. We have an unseen Savior. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. Dr. Gardner Taylor is a uh, used to pastor in New York City. He's also a preaching prof. I think he was a well-known preaching prof at Harvard years ago. And he was telling a story of uh, preaching in Louisiana during the Depression. And he was just out of seminary. He was just a young guy. And he said electricity was just coming into that part of the country. And he was out in this rural black church that just had one little <clears throat> light bulb hanging down from the ceiling to light up the whole sanctuary. And he's preaching away. And in the middle of his sermon, all of a sudden, the electricity went out. And the building went pitch black. And Dr. Taylor said, I don't know what to do. I'm a young guy. I've never been through some of this before. And he stumbled around until one of the elderly deacons sitting in the back of the church cried out, Preach on, preacher! We can still see Jesus in the dark. (laughs) And sometimes that's the only time we can see him in the dark. And the good news of the gospel is that whether we can see him in the dark or not, he sees us in the dark. And we don't have to see him to know him. Remember Thomas, the apostle, doubted the resurrection? said, unless I see his hands, unless I see his feet, unless I see his side, I will not believe. And when Thomas finally declared his belief in Jesus as Lord and God, John 20, verse 28, Jesus responded, because you have seen me, have you have believed, but blessed are those who do not see, and yet they believe. We don't have to see him to believe in him. And sometimes, have you noticed, we see him best in our trials in the dark. Sometimes, you know, when people get closer to death, they seem to be able to see the Savior more clearly. I've uh, sat beside the bedside of many who are leaving this world, and I hear the spouse or the children saying, It's okay, Mom. You can go now. It's okay, hon. You can go now. Jesus is waiting for you. We love you. Jesus is here to take you home. It's just kind of like they slip their hand into the hand of Jesus and, and they go home. My dad, when he was uh, uh, getting ready to go home, he had a new awareness of heaven. 
he said, it was like he could see into heaven. He said, and the story of Acts chapter 7, Stephen looking into heaven, became very real to him. So I'm not cynical at all of the fact that some will see the Savior more clearly as they get nearer home. But Peter wants his friends to know that the presence of Jesus, the presence of the unseen Savior, is close at hand. And especially in our struggles, in our trials, in our adversity, that ought to give you hope that you've got to know the unseen Savior is walking with you. And then the sixth reason is achieving the goal of our faith. Verse 9, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The end of it all is is when salvation is complete, the salvation of our souls, the consummation of our faith, the crossing of the line to be with the Lord forever. Salvation consummated. And the salvation of our souls is guaranteed. Isn't that wonderful to know? Do you notice how many people don't check their bags anymore when they go to the airport? You know why, don't they? Because it gets lost. Ends up in Toronto and you're going to California. And so people say, well, I, I can't afford not to have my suitcase get there. So they pack less and they take it with them. They shove it up in the carry-on or they give it and, and, and then you pick it right up afterwards. But you don't let it go through the system. They want to be sure. When you put your faith in Christ, regardless of the challenge of the journey, you have a guarantee that you will arrive safely. <laughs> your luggage too, but you won't be taking much with you. For which Jesus gave his life, you will have salvation. And it will be in full abundance. It will be there. And that gives us hope. So there are six reasons that help us to recalibrate when we're facing the trials of life. Now, if you notice, and I'll just take a moment, if you notice verses 10 through 12, they're kind of interesting verses. Uh, They veer off the track a little bit of what Peter has been talking about. It's like all of this triggered a thought for Peter, and he wants to be sure to include it, it's almost like we, you know, when we're emailing and we use BTW. By the way, oh, by the way, we might head off in a, a little different direction. But all of this discussion about getting home, about crossing the finish line, about the salvation of our souls, prompts Peter to say a couple of things. Number one, we have a unique mountaintop view when we look from the year 2012 or uh, any time after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We see things differently today than the prophets of old. We look from the mountaintop and we have a better view. The prophets looked from the valley and they couldn't see over the mountain. We can look back from the mountaintop and we have a great view of the past. We can see the life and resurrection, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ We can see his miracles. We can see the Old Testament. We can see how it all fits together. Um, They looked from the valley, and they couldn't see over the mountain. 
We can look back and we can see all of this. Uh, but back in the valley, the prophets were trying to make sense of it all. They knew that this would make sense eventually. But they, they didn't have the understanding that we do. They didn't really understand salvation through Jesus Christ. Not clearly like we do. They knew that their words served a future time. And they searched intently for the meaning of all of this, but they couldn't see it clearly. So Peter wants to include this. It's like, by the way, this salvation that was talked about in the Old Testament by the prophets, they didn't have the best view, but they were talking about the salvation of Jesus Christ. And that this is what they were pointing us to. And then in the last phrase in verse 13, even angels long to look into these things. I love that. Even angels long to look into these things. Angels are messengers of God. And they have a wonderful privilege of serving their master. But the one thing they lack is the redemption of their souls because they're angels. And they're not human. They don't have a human soul. And they've never experienced the forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ and the experience of salvation for all eternity. And so even angels, they're curious. They long to look into these things. We're going to take uh, some bread this morning and, and eat it. And we're going to take a cup this morning and we're going to take some juice and we're going to drink it. Sometimes it helps to be very tangible. These are tangible elements. And maybe you can appreciate these elements a little bit more when you think about the word hope as you touch that bread and as you touch that little cup. This is the hope that belongs to you as a follower of Jesus Christ. The bread and the cup represent what happened in the past. That Jesus stretched out his arms and feet and allowed his body to be broken for us. That Jesus allowed his blood to pour forth from his broken body as part of the redemptive plan. And so that meal that we're going to participate in this morning looks back to the cross, looks back to what he did for us. It also looks forward to what he's doing, that he is the unseen savior among us today, that he's in our midst and he's protecting us. Remember the glass. He's guaranteeing a home in heaven forever. And so this meal is the sign of our hope. And as you take it today, I trust it will be hopeful in your life, that it will bring hope and energy, that you'll be encouraged, that you'll be strengthened through this in your journey. You're welcome to allow the bread and the cup to pass by. If you've not journeyed in your faith, if this somehow doesn't make sense to you and you're just at a place of trying to figure all of this out, be comfortable just to allow the elements to pass by. There's no pressure to take them. But if you know Christ, if you love him, you're committed to him, and you're walking through this life, and the life may be filled with trials and adversities and challenges, but you know the unseen Savior walks with you, and you have him in your heart, and you've committed your life to him. Give thanks today through the bread and through the cup.